0: You know that feeling of accomplishment, of meeting a goal, that exhilarating feeling of victory? David and his men, 600 men, were returning home from war with that feeling of sweet victory coursing through their veins. But this was not to be. As they came to arise in the land, they saw with horror the devastation before them the smoldering remains of a city burned to the ground, attacked in their absence by the Amalekites. Furthermore, they learned that all the women and children had been carried off. Their wives and sons and daughters had been taken captive. Their homes and livelihood had been destroyed, destroyed by fire, and there was no one left. So what did David and his army do? they wept. David and his entourage of 600 men raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. They burst into loud wails, wept and wept until they were exhausted and too worn out to weep anymore. I have seen such weeping more than once. As a hospital chaplain, I visited a man whom I later in my monthly report called the man with the earring, a man slightly younger than myself, who was the recent victim of a stroke. As he began to tell his story, he began to weep, deep racking sobs at first, then wailing so intense, I had to hold myself in my chair in order to stay with him. I feared the whole hospital would come running to his aid, and worse than that, I feared that he would have another stroke. As it turned out, weeping and wailing was exactly what he needed to do, a breaking down of that high wall of grief, a pouring out of emotion that had been preventing him from moving on. It was what he needed to do in order to find the strength to continue working on his rehabilitation, and once the grief was out, he was able to carry on. I saw deep grief, In Africa. After a visit to the refugee social services building for an orientation, some of us went to visit one of the refugee women in her home. I will call this woman Marita and her story is also one of hopes being dashed. When she and her family fled from the Democratic Republic of Congo, they had high hopes for a better life in South Africa. They had heard of South Africa's reputation for its gold mining. Surely, where there was gold, there would be work, an income, and above all, safety for Marita, her husband and three small children, as well as Marita's pregnant sister and her five children who traveled with them. The expectations were high, but such was not to be. Very sadly, on their difficult journey, Marita's sister went into labor, And in the process of giving birth, both she and the baby died, leaving the rest of her young family behind. Who would care for these five little ones left without a mother? There was only one answer, and so Marita and her husband suddenly and unexpectedly took on the burden of five more children, making a total of eight. We arrived at her apartment together with one of the social workers, while the other social worker stayed with the vehicle to prevent someone stealing the hubcaps off of the van. To get to her apartment, we climbed up five flights of stairs, dusty, gray, broken down cement stairs on this hot, humid day, because the power was out and the elevator wasn't working. And I think perhaps that was the safest route anyway. As you can imagine, predictably, I was the last one up the stairs, and therefore the last one to arrive in the apartment that I had noted had sort of a kitchen in the entry, with a heap of dirty dishes. My flash thought as I walked in was that I didn't have any idea how anyone could deal with that heap, given there was no space for countertops or cupboards of any sort. I think there may have been a stove beside that dish heap as well, and again I couldn't imagine how anyone could cook on it. As a kitchen, it was really quite horrible. So as I said, I was a little later in getting into the apartment where about five of our learning tour were meeting with the mom and her two youngest boys, aged five and two and a half. I had missed the introductions, and even though I discovered that everyone in South Africa dresses very well, no matter what sort of home they live in, it took me a few minutes to realize that the beautiful woman, young woman before us, with her short black curly hair, wearing a lovely jade green gown, was Marita, the woman we had come to see. As Marita told her story of the need to flee their home, of her sister's premature death, and now having the responsibility of raising all those children. She added that finding work had been difficult. While she stayed home with the children who were not in school, her husband had worked in security. However, as a refugee who did not yet have his immigration papers, he had recently been bumped, and now their family was once more without an income. Another concern was that there was a limit to the number of people who were allowed to live in one apartment and they were definitely at their limit. As she spoke, the tears began to flow, and I mean flow, and I wondered how long that deep well of grief had been rising up inside of her. She needed to weep, she needed to wail, but how do you do that in those deplorable, cramped conditions? In the end, we sang together Amazing Grace, and several prayed for her. It seemed so little to offer, but perhaps our gift had been to listen and hear Marita's story, to bear witness to her profound grief. As Brian Zond says in his book, What to Do on the Worst Day of Your Life, living by faith is not living without feelings. Being strong in faith does not make us immune to emotion. Those who live by faith experience emotion like everyone else. They just don't allow emotion to have the, least, the last word. He adds, God has created us emotional beings. It is part of our human nature Emotions are an essential part of experiencing pleasure and joy in life. To deny true sorrow is also to deny true joy. It is a comfort to know we are not alone in our suffering. Jesus has joined us in our suffering and we read in scripture that the spirit helps us in our weakness. When we do not know what we ought to pray, the spirit intercedes for us through wordless groans. Some of us fear that if we ever start to cry, we will never stop. But we do, and it is in those tears that we will ultimately find joy. Even when we have encountered what we think is the worst thing that could happen, there comes a time when we have cried enough. So once we have shed our tears, we are better able to take another step forward We can find the strength to rise up out of our miserable situation and begin to move toward a better tomorrow. God is our hope in times of intense despair, for we can recognize in courage and faith God's restorative power in the midst of deep tragedy. We take the next step by renewing our trust in God, which is exactly what David did. David turns to God and renews his trust. I have found it interesting and rather fascinating over the years to read the Psalms and note how the psalmist can move from an anger that I find almost shocking to praise, or how naturally he is able to move from despair to worship. One example is Psalm 3, a Psalm of David where he cries out in desperation, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. He might have said very similar words when he discovered the smoldering ruins of Ziklag and his wives and children all taken captive. How many are my foes? How many rise up against me? But then he calls for Abiathar the priest, takes off his heavy armor, dons his priestly garb, and turns toward God as he remembers but you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again, because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. From the Lord comes deliverance, May your blessing be on your people. As I said, the psalmist, believed to be David, seems to be able to trust in God and praise God even in the most dire circumstances. I saw that in Africa and Zimbabwe too, in the two Brethren and Christ churches that we attended while there. I saw, despite circumstances seemingly insurmountable in my world, that they were well able to place their trust in God. These people know how to celebrate, as you can see even on the screen at the front of their church. And there is life in their music, which moved me to tears every time. The interesting and really lovely thing was, we could sing along. Have you ever sung in Zulu with a church full of Africans? Some of you have, but although you may not have sung with Africans, I'll bet most of you have sung in Zulu. I never knew that Siahamba was a Zulu song, and that being familiar with it would be so helpful in being able to sing along in Africa. Many of the songs were were kind of in that style, with the Zulu or often English words on PowerPoint and we could sing along quite nicely. But they far surpassed us in some other areas. Take a look at this. even though these folks well-dressed for church might have come from apartments with windows that had been left broken for years, or from tiny overcrowded houses, shacks really, that I would definitely consider unfit to live in, and even though many of them would have had terrible life stories to tell, I discovered there, in the people of South Africa and Zimbabwe, a faith that far surpassed my own, and people able to trust in God and sing praises with great joy. David, too, displays great faith as he turns to God. He has put down his weapons and his artillery. He puts on the simple linen ephod and he begins to pray. He comes before God, empty-handed, looking for a word of advice, a sense of direction. He comes with an urgent and specific question. He wants to know. Should he pursue the raiding party, and if so, will he overtake it? He chases after the raiders. Will he be successful if he does so in catching up to them? This is the burning question to which David needs an answer. So he pleads for a word from God. He prays, and he waits for God's response. We don't know how long David waits, but he prays, he waits, And the answer comes, God speaks clearly. Pursue it, for you will overtake it, and you will rescue everyone. So now David knows what to do. He has a new plan, has reoriented his vision, and he gains great strength and courage knowing that this is a word directly from God. He doesn't know exactly what this journey will look like, He doesn't know precisely how things will work out, but he has full confidence that one way or another, things will turn out, because God is directing his path. To make a long story short, the expedition is successful. He and his army of men overtake the raiding band, they attack and recover all that was taken. We read that David rescued all of whom the Amalekites captured, captured, including his two wives. No one was missing, young and old, sons or daughters, nor was any of the booty or anything else they took missing. David returned with everything. And then, instead of keeping it all for himself, he generously sent part of the spoils to his friends, the elders of Judah, saying, Here is a present for you from the spoils of the enemies of the Lord. As the author Brian Zahn notes, David didn't just recover and celebrate. David thought about others, considered others, and gave to others. My last story comes with a warning that this may be triggering for some. However, the beauty of listening to a sermon via Zoom is that you can turn this off and take a break if you need. In Zimbabwe, we had the sobering privilege of visiting the Sandra Jones Centre, where a home had been created for children who desperately need one. Many have been orphaned and, or abandoned after having been sexually abused or raped, generally by members of their own family. The children were in their classrooms while we were there, and it was appalling to learn and to see how young these children were and to hear how many hundreds had passed through these doors. The goals of this centre are to provide a home of love, hope and care to abandoned children until they can secure a new home through adoption or they reach adulthood. To support these children in every possible way to help them thrive and prosper. To provide a refuge for girls in crisis or those pregnant as a result of rape and or incest. To provide these children with a wide range uh, of skills to teach these girls farming cooking and sewing to enable them to do well and so they are able to graduate from this home into a formal environment so this place is a supportive home it is a school it is a place for older girls to learn skills that they that can earn them an income because of the Sandra Jones center where they learn that they have worth and that they are loved, these children and girls now have a much brighter future. I am telling this story largely because it is also a story of someone receiving a word from the Lord. When Debbie Brennox became aware of all these children in such desperate need, she also received a word from God, a new vision, that she was to build a home for them While in a hotel restaurant having a coffee with her daughter, she saw a vision that this was the exact place where God wanted her to open a home for them. However, she learned it wasn't even for sale. And then, a few months later, it was. But for a price entirely beyond her means. In fact, she had no money for such a costly project. Over a period of time, the price dropped and then it dropped again. To a point where, at something like $100,000, she decided to invite all her friends and family in Australia to contribute. Amazingly, within a very short period of time, they came close enough that she decided to put in an offer. Yes, she didn't quite have enough, but when the exchange rate was figured in, you guessed it, it came to exactly the amount that she needed. Debbie Brenox heard the voice of God with amazing results. Not only do children and girls benefit from the support received here, but they are able to give to their community. According to a Facebook post, the growing of vegetables in their greenhouses is a labor of love which produces thousands of fruit. In a country where food is scarce and hunger is rampant, this project is flourishing, providing work and food, and now, because they know what it is like to be in need. They are generously supplying food for many around them. So Debbie Brenox saw a need. God gave her a plan and she and her team have gained great strength and courage knowing that this is a plan that comes directly from God and that God's spirit is working in and through them. Pentecost is a good day to remember that God's Spirit is with us. It has come upon us. You heard the story taken from the book of Acts earlier. Pentecost is a good day to remember that the Spirit of God is poured down on us just as the Spirit was poured in tongues of flames that came to rest on each of the disciples. When we are living in a time that feels like a calamity, we can remember that our human response, our God-given response, is... First of all, to weep. That is how we begin to cope. Then we remember to turn to God in prayer. In praise and petition, waiting for a word from God, seeking to know God's direction for our next steps, trusting that God will give strength and courage for what lies ahead. Following God's path, we will find healing, a restoration of what we once had, though often in new ways. Moreover, we may, be, we may find ourselves able to reach out to others who are suffering. For our own suffering is exactly what makes us grateful to God and more compassionate toward others. May we share generously of ourselves being their peace when others are despairing and holding the Christ light for them as they move from darkness to light. In our times of struggle, Zahn reminds us, Perhaps the best thing we can do is to remember this promise. All things work together for good. And dare to believe that this too will work out for good and that somehow everything is going to be all right. As we move ahead, may God continue to grant courage and strength and bless us with compassionate and generous hearts. Amen.